Well, amen. You know, the older I get in life, the more I experience life, if you will, the more I understand the fact that suffering is an unavoidable truth. That's what I wanted to talk about today was the idea of suffering. It is every single one of us out there has felt some type of suffering. Maybe even right now you're dealing with some personal suffering this morning. You know, but as I said, I even look at my own life. I can see the moments in time where suffering was prevalent. Where suffering would describe my life at that moment. You know, even with Kelly and I being able to work with the um, teen ministry. You know, it, 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 at first it did start to um, surprise me, start to shock me. As I sat down and studied the Bible with 13 year olds and 14 year olds. But to hear the suffering that even goes on in their lives. Yeah. Even to hear about the things that have happened to them or the things that are happening currently. I start to see that suffering, it's just a part of life. It's just a part of life that, you know, we're going to have broken marriages. That we're going to have issues within the home. That we're going to have health issues, whether it be us personally or close family members or friends. Those things are just going to happen. Or it could even be something as small as, man, you got a horrible teacher or, or a horrible boss and they make your life suffering. Yeah. Right? Because suffering can be from a lot of different levels. It's not just death, but it can be smaller things too. As long as you're feeling that, that pain and that burden, it's suffering and we all experience it. It's unavoidable. But what do we think about suffering? What do we think about suffering this morning? Where do we place that? How does that fit into our lives as disciples and as Christians, as followers of Jesus? Where do we place suffering? How does that fit in to the whole thing called our life? Let's flip over uh, to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to try to make sense of this suffering today. Amen? Amen. We've been uh, reading through the book of Philippians, and we're actually going to be finishing it out this Tuesday at our midweek service, so amen. We're going to be moving on to Colossians, and uh, the goal is to finish that up by the end of the year, and then we're moving on to a surprise book. We're still debating on what that's going to be, but uh, it's going to be something, uh, Genesis is one of the top ones. I'm pulling for Genesis, personally, and that would be a lot of fun to preach through Genesis. We won't do it chapter by chapter, though, amen. Some of those might be a little bit slower than other ones, um, but... Here we are in Philippians, and we've also been focusing on the topic of rejoicing. You might be saying to yourself, Jeff, rejoicing, you're literally, your slide says suffering. Amen. Well, trust me, we're going to get there, okay? Amen. All right, let's pick up in verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all through him who gives me strength. Amen. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. 
God, thank you so much for today, God. Thank you that we could just open up your word this morning, God, and be able to look at it with fresh eyes, God, and be able to look at it not just for our minds and to be able to walk out of this room feeling good about ourselves or feeling that we have learned some insight to the scriptures, God, but that we can actually apply it to our lives. God, I pray that you speak through me. God, you put me to the side and allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me, but also to uh, touch every single one of the hearts here today, God, that we really can be able to look at your word and feel that this is you speaking directly to us, that we can take comfort in that. God, and that we can leave here, God, changed individuals. God, and I love you. God, thank you for your son and your sacrifice, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we see as Paul is wrapping up his letter in um, Philippians, that he begins really what I believe was the main um, just intent of his letter. This was a thank you letter. This was a thank you for the gift that was given to Paul. Now, now this gift would have been some basically would have paid for Paul to live. This was how he got paid in the ministry was by um, donations, by donations of these churches. And he was grateful for that financial support. And most people believe this was a sizable contribution. Why? Because um, Epaphroditus brought it to him personally. If it was a small amount of money, you wouldn't send it with somebody to guard it along the way. You kind of just mail it or I don't know what they did, money gram it then. But nonetheless, they send it with him. So this was a sizable donation. So Paul was basically letting them know, thank you so much, Philippian church, for helping me out. Being concerned about my well-being. Thank you for that. But while he's thankful, Paul wants to make sure that, he, that they understand that, you know what? I've learned a secret. I've learned a secret in life about being content. Content in every situation. And when you think about it, Paul's statement, when he says, I've learned to be content in every situation... That's a big statement to throw out there. That's a big one just to kind of throw in there with like, hey, thank you for your gift. And oh, by the way, I've learned how to be content whether I have your money or not. And you're just like, whoa, back up a minute. Can you explain a little bit more, Paul, what you're talking about here? Because I don't know about you, but that sounds like something that I wouldn't mind imitating in my own life. So let's actually figure out what was Paul's situation. So you guys want to write down there 2 Corinthians chapter um, 11. You don't have to turn there. Paul's actually, in this letter, he describes exactly what were his situations. Here it is. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Wow, shouldn't go on the sea anymore. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been consistently on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits and dangers from my fellow Jews and dangers from the Gentiles and dangers of false believers. Um, oh, sorry. And, and danger in the city and danger in the country and danger of the sea and in danger of false believers. I have labored in toil and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. This is Paul describing his life, his job. And for him to write, I've learned how to be content in every circumstance. I'm like, whoa, through all of that? Through all of that suffering? I mean, for one, it kind of puts my own suffering in, you know, perspective, right? I'm like, my 
My list doesn't quite look like that. Right? But there's a lot of suffering. But clearly, as Paul, clearly it's Paul has suffered. This is not to say that Paul went through all of this and you know what? You should sit there and you shouldn't complain about your own suffering. That's not my point at all. My point is that we all suffer. But how was Paul able to withstand this suffering? Better yet, how was he able to stay content throughout all the suffering? And that's what we're going to try to answer today. Amen? Amen. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 14. Let's go look at one of these situations. Shipped wrecked three times. That's the one. Woo. Oh, Jeff. I don't know. Maybe you can start laying some bets down as you leave. If you're a Paul, you can make some money off of that luck. All right. In Acts 14, in verse um, 11, let's pick up there. This is Paul on one of his missionary journeys. It says, when the crowd saw that what had Paul had done, Paul basically healed this man, had uh, given him the ability to stand up and walk once again. Uh, they shouted in the Laodicean language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, who was Paul's traveling companion, they called Zeus and Paul, they called him Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city. Um, they brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. You can imagine Paul this moment. He had just performed a miracle and the city turns and looks at him. And they say, hey, these people must be gods. Let's go ahead and worship them. You can imagine Paul's like, whoa, somehow something got lost in translation. This is not what I'm here for. Please do not worship me, but look towards God. And here we're going to hear, we're going to see his response to this crowd. But when the apostles Um, Barnabas and Paul heard of this. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go on their own way. Yet he has left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and the crops in your seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. It goes on in verse 19. It says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. What a flip of events here. Offering sacrifices and now stoning him. And they dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered all around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Stop right there. You know, Paul was preaching the good news. They seemed to accept, at minimum, Paul himself. And then they start to hear the good news, but the Jews come in and turn the crowd against him. And they beat They basically stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead. I don't know about you, but that's probably a pretty severe beating. He's probably bleeding quite a bit, um, unconscious, probably dragging him through the city and throwing him out in the city, outside of the city gates to to either finish him off and leave him there for the birds or animals, or at minimum just say, hey, we don't want to deal with this guy anymore. And that's the situation that Paul 
is it. You imagine if you were to put yourself in that situation. Talk about suffering. Talk about the frustration that you might have felt. The uh, injustice done to you. But what does Paul do? We see in verse 21, he gets up and goes to the next city and preaches the word of God. But why pick yourself up? Why did Paul pick himself up through that suffering? Why did Paul decide, you know what, this isn't it. I got to keep on going. Because he had a purpose. He had a purpose that wasn't his own. He had a purpose that was literally handed down by Jesus himself. He wasn't allowed to wallow in his self-pity and his frustration or perhaps in the injustices that were done to him. No. He said, I have a purpose. And all of this is just a roadblock. All of this is just an obstacle. I have a purpose given to me by God to go and preach the word. You know, point number one. Ah, there we go. Uh, We have a purpose to keep going. When it comes to our suffering, we too share a purpose. You know, the Nazi concentration camps, probably, you know, one of modern day's worst examples of suffering. I'm not going to go into the, you know, details and everything. I think all of us are well aware of what, of what happened. You know, but there is an interesting, um, if you ever have a chance to read a book that will really change the way you view life, uh, pick up the book, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor um, Frankl. I mean, it's it, a it, short, short book. It's about 90 pages. It's his um, essays, basically about he was a, um, a prisoner there. And uh, he himself is a doctor and basically did his own studies, interviewed people, and came to some really earth-shattering conclusions about the human um, just um, experience, in particular, how we deal with suffering. But he was able to look at the idea of this idea, excuse me, of purpose in our life and how big of a factor that plays for us. He saw that through right after December 25th, through December 31st, right after that was the most amounts of suicides and deaths and from natural causes, if you will, uh, in, the, in these Nazi um, concentration camps. And he came to the conclusion that why that was, was because all of them had the hope that they would get out of this camp, of this suffering, by the holidays. And when that didn't happen, they lost their purpose. Therefore, they lost their will to survive. They lost their will to basically work through the suffering around them. It just wasn't worth it. They either committed suicide or died based on their own health conditions. They gave up because they no longer had a purpose. A purpose for us is so important in life. You know, when you think about it, everything in life has a um, purpose or um, an assignment. Why do you think about the shoes on your feet? Right? You look down for a minute right there. Shoes on your feet, looking good. They have a purpose. What do they do? They protect your feet. You think about the car you drove here. It has a purpose. It drove you here. Think about the chair you're sitting in right now. may not be the most comfortable one in the world, but it has a purpose to hold you upright so you're not sitting here on the floor. You think about even bigger than that. How about the moon? It controls the tides. The sun, it brings us warmth and light. Everything in this world has a purpose. What is yours today? What is your purpose as you sit here? 
this morning, what is your purpose? Is it your job? That you can provide the best financial reports ever. <laughs> when people think of financial reports or when they explain to them this is how you're supposed to do it, first thing that pops in their mind is you. Because <laughs> you crush those financial supports. You are sending the best emails ever. It's so proper. You don't use any short, um, short, um, shorthand, no um, BTWs, nothing like that. You send the best emails in your job. People love those emails. <laughs> And you've crushed your sales goals, haven't you? Man. But what happens when that job ends? What happens when you finish the goal set before you? What happens when you're laid off? What happens if you get fired? Maybe you're in the military. Is your purpose really to drill? And it goes through every single possible scenario just so maybe you might get called up? What happens when it's all over, said and done? When you retire? What do you do with your life then? What's your purpose then? Maybe it's your marriage. What happens when you hit major obstacles? What happens when it fails? What happens when it just doesn't meet your needs anymore? Maybe it's your kids. You know, uh, in my neighborhood, the uh, PTA moms are... Uh, it's a bigger force than most neighborhoods that I've lived in. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Let me just say that. Uh, but they are really into the PTA. I mean, I'm like really into the PTA. Like we stand there waiting, you know, um, at the, um, at the bus stop and it's like all they talk about is PTA stuff. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm trying not to be critical. You know, I'm like, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I need to be like Jesus. Love everybody. But I'm like, come on. Is this really your life here? PTA. You know, decorating doors at school. They look great if the kids walk in, but is that really the highlight of your life? You did a great job, by the way. Uh, uh, they go to the same school as my, uh, as my son. Um, but, that's not, but, that's, but that's not your life, though, right? Yes. No, okay, perfect. Okay, moving on. But is it really your kids? Right? Is your purpose your kids? Is it all wrapped into that? What happens when they move out? Or what happens when, I don't know, they look at you and they say, I don't like you. I don't, I, don't, I don't love you anymore. And you're just like, what do you do then? Maybe it's your stuff. Maybe it's your house. Maybe you've put all your energy and effort into that yard, into that, into that lawn. And it's just not growing. It's not growing because you live in um, Virginia Beach and there's just sand. There's no nutrients. This is my personal struggle. There's no nutrients in the soil. And I'm like, I put hundreds and hundreds of dollars into this little green grass and it won't grow. I'm like, man. But is that my purpose in life? You know, if you're a Christian today, we, we have a purpose. We not only have a purpose, but we have a purpose that we haven't given to ourselves. We haven't gone out and found. We've been handed to you straight from Jesus himself. That our purpose is to seek and to save the lost. Yep. Yeah. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, very familiar passage to most of us, but one that I don't think we look at enough. Yeah. It says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, yeah. baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. This is Jesus himself handing down the purpose for your life. Yes. As a Christian, this is your purpose. You are to seek and save the lost. 
But have we lost our purpose? I think some of us have wandered from our purpose. Maybe we've been caught up in all the other issues that we got in our life. Perhaps we're caught up even in the suffering in our own lives. And we are caught up in the PTA and the lawn and our kids and our job. That we have lost our purpose. We need to remind ourselves that we've been set aside for something greater. We literally are sanctified by Christ. Sanctified meaning that you are set aside for holy purposes. Similar to that of the temple in the, in the Old Testament. That the objects were used for God's purposes and His will. That is you today, church. Set aside for God's purposes. When was the last time we went out and really shared our faith? When was the last time you brought a friend to church? Personally. When was the last time you got one of your co-workers or perhaps it was a neighborhood friend to sit down and study the Bible? Because you were fulfilling your purpose. Not your purpose that you made up, but again, one that Jesus handed to you. Are we really living out our purpose today? You know, Paul had a clear purpose. That's what helped him push through his sufferings. But it was also his strength that allowed him to make it through such sufferings. Not his, not his own strength. But here as we see the strength of Jesus. You know, my youngest son, Levi, uh, when he was born, uh, you know, was a pretty healthy child up until about three months of age. And, 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 you know, if you have kids, you have those moments kind of in your life that are burned into your brain. Some of them good memories, some of them bad memories. But I remember... We were in New Jersey visiting Kelly's family out there. And uh, Levi just started throwing up uncontrollably. Nonstop. And I'm sorry if I grossed you guys out, but to the point where he was choking. He couldn't catch his breath because it was just nonstop projectile vomiting. And, it, it, and as a three-month-old, you can't ask him, Hey, son, what, what is going on? And we would try to feed him, and he would just throw up more and more. And he would scream and cry and just nonstop. I mean, I'm talking, just throwing up constantly. He couldn't keep anything down. You know, and Kelly and I are starting to freak out. And we're starting to get a little bit worried about what is wrong with my son. Why can't he keep anything down? We bring him to the doctors, and they, and they look at him and they go, I don't, I don't really know what's wrong with your son. Maybe he just, maybe his, di- uh, what they told us was that his digestive system hadn't caught up to his body. And I was like, well, well, what does that mean? What can I do about that? He's not eating. He's throwing up. He doesn't sleep. He can barely breathe because he's, you know, got all this stuff all over him. And on top of that, I don't want to be around him. The kid just throws up and screams. Throws up on me and cries and screams and cries. For me, as a father... You know, it was hard to see your son suffering, but the harder part, and, and, and you know, I'm sorry if this comes across selfish, but I didn't want to be around him. I was like, I don't, I don't like this child. I don't want to be around you right now because you just caused me suffering. I got to see how, got to watch my wife go through this, unable to help her child. And this went on for about a year. Over a year, where Levi basically had just couldn't eat. We had to get on the special food to try to get him to actually get some nutrients. 
uh, within him. But being able to watch my wife, it takes, it takes a toll. Yeah. Not being able to sleep. Not being able to hold your child without being thrown up on it, feeling stinky all the time. I mean, we literally gave up at one point in time and didn't, and didn't put clothes on him anymore. Because we're like, this kid is just going to throw up all over him. It got so bad, no joke. A year after he was, for the first year, we had to change all the carpets in, in our house. Because they were destroyed. Because there's just vomit everywhere. <laughs> Sorry if I'm grossing you out. Amen. There's a picnic afterwards at 1 o'clock. Um, <laughs> No more detail about vomit. I'm going to tell you guys the texture or the color or anything like that. But um, <laughs> Joking, joking, joking. Uh, but I just remember crying out to God. Asking God, what, what is your purpose? What is your reasoning here? I don't get this. Yeah. It's my second son. I kind of know what a baby's supposed to act like. And this is not it. <laughs> God, I don't understand. I can't sleep at night anymore. My wife is miserable. I'm not happy. And on top of that, I feel like I should be overjoyed and want to cuddle and love this young child that you've given me. But instead, I just want to keep him at an arm's distance. God, what is this? I had to start to see that my purpose in life wasn't my son. And the life is not perfect. Life does come with suffering. I had to start to learn, but where am I going to get my strength from? Is it going to come from me? Or is it going to come from God? You know, point number two, we got to have the strength to keep on. You know, suffering is going to come. It's difficult. It's difficult at times. I know some of you right now, even as I'm preaching this, are saying, okay, Jeff, but you just don't understand. It's difficult to go through suffering. But we got to learn to look towards God. You know, for even think about when you have a, some of you, if you're like myself, if you have a muscle ache or like a headache, you don't want to go to the doctor, do you? No. Some of you don't even want to take Advil. You're like, I can do this. God made me. I can muscle through this one. I'm a man or a woman. Amen. You know, and we rely on our own strength. Yeah. But that strength isn't going to push you through your suffering. You know, as Paul says... That he relies on God's strength. He says, I can do all through him who gives me strength. Amen. And that him is Jesus. And it's interesting to note, too, that Paul says it's not just the suffering that Jesus gives me the strength to make it through. But it's even the good things. That's the reason why I have the victories in my life. It's not because of my own strength, but because of the strength of Jesus himself. Yeah. So my question for you is, whose strength are you going on this morning? Well, whose strength... And who do you look to in the times of your suffering? Interesting thing about suffering is it exposes where we put our strength in. It exposes it quickly. When we suffer, who do you turn to? Right? And do you think about the first time uh, that you were sick when you left your parents' house? The first time you were sick. I remember my time vividly. Kelly's, Kelly's face is already going, no, don't tell this story. It's a great story. You guys ready for this one? This is a good one. And I do love my wife. Uh, let me just say that now. We were, Kelly and I were dating at the time, and I just moved to uh, Tallahassee, Florida to attend the great uh, University of Florida State. And um, I got sick. 
This is the first time, and you know my mom is a, um, is a nurse. She's a great nurse, very loving, nurturing. And, you know, I'm sitting there sick, completely sick, suffering, you know? I realize that I can't do it on my own strength anymore. So I call up my girlfriend. I say, hey, I'm sick. She say, oh, I'll come over and take care of you. And I was like, amen, thank you. So she, she shows up at, um, at, knocks on my door, and I'm there, and she literally, she doesn't even step in the door. She stands right here. Imagine this is the threshold. She has a pot with a can of soup, not poured out, literally a can of soup in the pot, and says, here you go. And I'm like, I was like, are you going to come in and make it for me? Or, I mean, is this like a... Thank you. Uh, I feel better already. You know, I mean, like, what is that? But anyways. She has since become much better at that. She actually puts the soup in the pot and then hands it to me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't even, I don't even like soup. So, amen. There it is. Um, but when we suffer, it exposes where we put our strength. Perhaps you put it in your own um, accomplishments. Perhaps you've, you get your strength from your marriage, from your kids, from your job. All those things that are, guess what? Closely related to your purpose. You know, the way that the world handles suffering, they go to look for comfort, escape. They go look towards the pleasures of the world. They want to be distracted. They want to retreat. They want to self-medicate instead of turning back to God. They turn back to themselves. They're all about, let me strengthen myself. And it leads to bitterness. That affects relationships, your marriage, your family, all those things that you perhaps got your strength from. And then it leads to to denial. To pretend that it's not even there. To pretend that you don't have an issue, that you're not actually suffering at all. Still, Pointing back to self. Where do I get my strength from? Myself, myself, myself. As opposed to, as we see Paul, I got to go back to the Lord. You know, suffering is a part of life. It just is. And Paul tells us how to be content in every situation. Not just to make it through, but to be content by having a purpose and being able to rely on the strength of Jesus. You know, the secret... To being content, Paul actually gives it to us in here. The word content that he uses is actually self-sufficient. Which kind of, if you were the reader, it would strike you as odd. Paul's saying, hey, I've learned the secret to basically be self-sufficient, to be content on my own, to take care of my own needs. He says, you know how I do that? By relying on God. It's not actually me, it's God. That Jesus is the one who brings contentment. No matter what, if I'm in want or I'm in plenty. If I'm suffering or if I'm having the best day of my life. Jesus is the one who brings that. That suffering becomes no longer about self. But then it becomes about our purpose. Jesus' purpose. It becomes no longer about ourself, but the strength of Jesus. Are you content in your life this morning? Have you relied on yourself? Or are you or are you looking towards Jesus? Yeah. Are you, instead of being self-sufficient, Christ-sufficient? 
and the purpose that we have in our life, we do have a choice. It can be your own purpose. You, you, you have a choice. It can be your own strength. Or it can be Jesus' purposes. Jesus' strength that you can go on. You know, my challenge for this week is for us to be content. Not content on our own strength. But to be content by relying on Jesus' purposes. To perhaps renew your own purpose in Christ. If you felt like you have wandered away from that purpose. Perhaps you've taken up another purpose. But to go back to your original purpose. And also to rely on not your strength, but His strength. And to fulfill that purpose and to make it through your suffering. You know, as a Christian, we look at these challenges and you got to ask yourself, does that reflect my life? And if you're not a Christian... You can ask yourself, what have I put in place of Jesus? What have I put in place of Jesus' purpose, Jesus' strength? We've got to look and we've got to adjust. Talk to the person that brought you out. Ask them to sit them down and say, what in the world was he talking about this purpose for my life? He seemed like he knew what he was talking about, that I had this purpose. I don't know I had this purpose. Ask somebody to sit down with you and show you exactly what Jesus' purpose for your life. Because guess what? He's got one. Amen. In closing... Suffering will come. It's a part of life. But let us not meet it with our own strength or or our own purpose, but with the strength and purpose of Jesus. Then you will find contentment or rejoicing in the Lord. Not just rejoicing, but rejoicing always in the Lord as we move forward, loving God and living our life for Him. Amen. Amen. Amen.